Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Bike Time. My name is Terry Toot, and today's show will be called The Stars Continue to Shine. Uh, we're going to discuss the contributions of minorities um, to or in information technology in celebration of the Martin Luther King holiday. So we're not going to just single out, certain, we're going to talk about certain people that, that made major contributions and they don't, people don't know about them, and I didn't know about them. So I just did research, and I'm gonna we're gonna talk about them like that happened the past few years, and then we're gonna get into some some real good music we're gonna play too uh, during the civil rights era. So sit back and enjoy yourself. We're gonna have a good show. Music that we're playing right now is Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions. We're winning. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Let's have a good time. That was Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, Curtis Mayfield and Impressions. We're going to play some more of the music. We're going to have a whole... I'm going to say, most of this show, we're going to play some music for back in the day, during the Civil Rights era, and even for today, too. So um, it's all about celebration, ladies and gentlemen, because if it weren't for Martin Luther King, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to the masses all over the world. I wouldn't have an education, ladies and gentlemen. I wouldn't even have a job. I wouldn't have these clothes on my back, all right? And to the, to some of the freedom fighters, uh, the civil rights workers, some of them got killed, got bitten by German shepherds going down south, and not just down south, in other parts of the country, but mostly down south. But um, if it weren't for those individuals who put their life on the line for freedom, ladies and gentlemen, for freedom. And without them, ladies and gentlemen, like I said, I wouldn't be here. Wouldn't have laptop computers, um, surround sound systems, and all the stuff, all the gadgets I, I, we all have, okay? If it weren't for the work of some of these uh, freedom fighters or civil rights workers, I don't know what the world, world America would be like, but um, we're going to dedicate this show today to all those people who put their life on the line and for us to have freedom. I wish the younger generation would see that, okay? But they sometimes they lose consciousness. But it was about, you know, getting the bands and the, the jewelry, the, you know, the drip and all that stuff, okay? If it weren't for Martin Luther King and the people fighting for freedom for African-Americans, whoever, you wouldn't have that drip. You wouldn't have the Maserati. You wouldn't have the Bentleys and all that stuff. 
was someone will come on my show right now and explain to me why. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's, it's terrible. But we're gonna move on for that. Okay, this is a show of. This is gonna be a show of, a show of celebration. Okay, first and foremost, we're gonna get into some sports real quick, as I usually do. So, uh, real quick, today's NFL playoff games that are gonna be on TV. It's only gonna be two today. So the first one is uh, uh, Cleveland Browns versus the Houston Texans. That's at 4 o'clock on NBC. And the second game is if you had the Peacock Network, uh, I don't understand that, but um, I don't have it and I refuse to pay for it. But it is what it is. But um, that game is on 8 o'clock. The Dolphins and the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, that's on at 8 o'clock. I don't have the Peacock Network. I just have to go by the internet to listen to the scores. I refuse to pay any more money for cable. All right, and then tomorrow there's the big slate of games. We have who we have, ladies and gentlemen. We have one o'clock game. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers at Buffalo, and they're talking some crazy weather, like they're going to be uh, below zero in uh, Kansas City. Uh, the Packers in the Dallas Cowboys at four thirty, and then we have probably one of the intriguing games on TV: the LA Rams versus Detroit Lions. Now, you know, Matthew Stafford used to play for Detroit for a long time. He left and got a Super Bowl on Rams. So that's going to be an interesting game. I'm going to watch that one. I think that game's in Detroit. Yeah, that game's in Detroit. Sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry about that. <laughs> but uh, I'm looking forward to uh, the playoff games. And there is a slate of a lot of college basketball on today, too. So the whole weekend. It's a whole weekend of really good some sports and some hockey. I don't know hockey, ladies and gentlemen. I really don't. So if you um, there's a lot. There's some NHL hockey on. So we can't keep it. And the ladies are playing college basketball too. So there's like a whole lot of sports on this weekend. You don't have to go to work. Hey, sit back. We're like it's gonna be cold. It's gonna be cold here on the East Coast. And to your people, the people that listen on the West Coast. I mean the Midwest. Please be careful out there. I'm hearing the storm is really hard out there. So please, please, please be careful out there. Okay? So, all right, cool. Let's get this thing started. So, like I said, ladies and gentlemen, this show today, we're going to dedicate it to the minority contributions to information technology because that's what the show is. And my emphasis today will be on the minorities who have made real good, who have made considerable contributions to information technology, and people don't know about this, okay? So I'm going to try to bring it to light just a little bit um, because I'm learning too, okay? I was never taught heroes, people like this, and and it's unfortunate because I was born on the East Coast, and, you know, it's just that schools didn't have that curriculum at the time. So here we go. All right, the first person we're going to talk about is a Mr. Frank Green. He was a venture capitalist. Um, he was an electronic guy. He was really a high-tech business executive. Uh, he was born October 19, 1938, uh, to Mr. Frank Green Sr. and Irma Olivia Swigert. Um, he studied uh, electrical engineering at Washington University in St. Louis, and he has an MS from Purdue in 62 and a PhD from Santa Clara in 1970. Ladies and gentlemen, it's <laughs> just think. 
a black man, an African-American, receiving all of these degrees in the time of the civil rights era. I mean, and the stuff that was going on. Uh, Mr. Green was in the United States Air Force uh, for four years, and he helped develop computers for the NSA. <laughs> Go figure, okay? Um, in 65, uh, he began working research and development for Fairchild Semiconductor, and, you know, he was working on the patents for uh, memory chip design. Unbelievable. This gentleman was highly, highly intelligent, okay? <laughs> And then he became CEO of Technology Development Corporation, a computer software and technical services company that would grow from four employees to 300 by 1985. This is a, a African-American man, okay? Um, then he went on to work to other companies and he founded a company called Zero One uh, Systems in 85. In 93, he was a general partner of New Vista Capital. And it went out to be turned into zero one. I mean, New Vista Capital Funds. Um, he helped work with private equity firms, capital funds. He acted as a business and financial advisor, startup technology company, ladies and gentlemen. History books are not telling the story, but I'm going to bring it to light, okay? Um, he did a lot of teaching also. And taught courses in uh, computer science and electrical engineering at Stanford. Now, you know, you, you got to be a brand to go to Stanford. Everybody that goes to Stanford ends up in, in the Silicon Valley. Um, at Stanford, Santa Clara, Howard University, and Washington University in St. Louis. Washington University in St. Louis is on par, almost a Ivy League in uh, the St. Louis, Missouri area. Um, you really got to be intelligent going to that school. That's a really good school from what I'm told. Um, he was on the board of directors, uh, uh, Technology Development Corporation, um, Network Picture System, Compsys Corporation, and Beyond Software, and you name it. He was phenomenal. Um, he also was a recipient of Purdue University Outstanding Electrical Engineer Award in 1999. Um, he was inducted to the Silicon Valley Hall of Fame in 2001. And he was awarded the title of Santa Clara University Distinguished and Engineering Alumnus, 1993. Um, Mr. Green passed away on December 26, 2009. Oh, unfathomable contributions, ladies and gentlemen. And to that, we have to stop that. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, this is a time. In America, like I said, the civil rights era was going on, and just things were not. It still isn't there, but it was harder back then. But this gentleman had in a mind that he wanted to use, and he was given that opportunity to express himself using his mind. He was highly intelligent, and I'm so glad that I was able to read stuff about uh, Mr. Green. So, um, like I said, unbelievable. All right. The next person we'll talk about is Miss Patricia Bath. Uh, Miss Patricia, uh, she was a medical scientist, was born November 4th in Harlem in 1942. Her father Rupert was a Trinidadian immigrant and the first black motorman uh, working in the subway cars in Manhattan. Okay. His mo her mother was a descendant of African slaves and Cherokee Native American, and she worked as a housewife and domestic. Okay. Uh, Miss Bath. 
Um, she got a grant uh, to attend the Summer Institute of Biomedical Science at Yeshiva University in New York. That's really getting up there, okay? Uh, she's working on a project studying relationship between cancer, nutrition, and stress. She went on to Hunter College in Manhattan. Uh, she got a BS in chemistry in 1964, okay? Um, she attended Howard University of Medical School, uh, graduated with honors of the M uh, MD degree, and also won the Edwin J. Watson Prize for Outstanding Student Ophthalmology. Ophthalmology, ladies and your eyes. She knew stuff with your eyes, okay? Ms. Bath was the first person African-American to receive to be a resident of ophthalmology at NYU Medicine. Um, and then in 72, she was pregnant with her daughter, Erica. <laughs> um, she worked as assistant surgeon uh, at Sydenham Hospital on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. Um, unbelievable. She was pregnant. Then a year later, she was an assistant surgeon in a hospital on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. In Manhattan. That's, oh, if some of you don't know Manhattan, Fifth Avenue is extremely, extremely very wealthy area. Okay? Miss um, Bath moved to Los Angeles, California. Uh, she was the first African-American uh, surgeon at UCLA Medical Center. She was appointed assistant professor at Charles R. Drew University. Unbelievable. In 1975, she became the first woman faculty member of the UCLA Jules Stein Eye Institute, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, this is showing that you work hard, regardless of what you call your skin are. If you work hard and you, do, you have good grades, they're going to recognize you. And this is all a culmination within a 15, 20-year period, ladies and gentlemen. And she's brilliant. She's very, very brilliant. She's being recognized for... Not because of skin color, but because of her character, like Martin Luther King. Helped a man be judged not by the color of his skin, but the content of his character. Okay? Miss Bath is doing that. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Um, she continued to work at UCLA and Drew University, and she was basically inventor of the laser cataract removal. Um, said so she developed a chair, she developed and chaired an ophthalmology residency training program from 1986, was the first woman chair and first female program director of a postgraduate training program in the United States. You know what? <laughs> Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Unbelievable. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um... I'm just to say, in 1993, Ms. Bath retired from UCLA Medical Center. She was inducted into the International Women and Medicine Hall of Fame in 2001. Um, sadly, um, Ms. Bath passed away May 30th of uh, 2019. She just recently passed away. So um, once again, ladies and gentlemen, we're not standing around. Here are people that made unbelievable ophthalmology. That's unbelievable for somebody in, to just know what your eyes are telling you. Hey, I'm, you know, something going on here. And she worked on, invented lasers 
to go in there and check what the cataracts are, what they were at a time during the struggle. So um, God rest your soul, Miss Bat. I mean, unbelievable. And I hope her children are just as smart or smarter, but she set the, she set everything in place for them. So um, my sympathy to the family and God rest us all for because she was definitely a role model. All right. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Next one. Next person we're going to talk about here is a Miss uh, Janet Emerson. Okay. Miss Janet Emerson. Uh, Miss Emerson was born in Mansfield, Ohio, and on February 12, 1957. Uh, she grew up in a working class family, you know, typical mom and dad. Okay. Um, then the family moved to Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, father worked as a garbage collector, and mother was a city's first black woman emergency room nurse. Segregated Alabama, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Uh, Miss Bashan attended Alabama AM uh, until she married, relocated to Houston, Texas. She got her degree in legal studies and government at the University of Houston and continued her education at Rice University. Ladies and gentlemen, Rice University is damn near Ivy League. If you're not, as you saw, that Rice University is just outside of Houston, and that's one of those smart schools like Washington University in St. Louis. Rice University is definitely Ivy League, but it's just in Texas. Okay. Uh, she um, did graduate school administration at Rice University. Uh, she also attended Harvard University's Women in Power Leadership in the New World. Okay. She's being selected by a an Ivy League school for uh, a program, Leadership in the New World, an African-American woman, okay? Um, after graduation, she was working at an insurance, um, she was in the insurance industry. Um, she worked on the creation of third-party teams to investigate uh, EEOC, EEOC or employment, equal employment opportunity claims as um, in the claims department, and they rose in companies, you know, where they worked at. She argued that third-party investigators uh, will be less subject to influence from either side in complaints. So what they're saying is that whatever the, that person said at third party, hey, that's it. No. And she didn't agree with it. Um, then she went to the Urban League um, and decided, hey, I'm going to borrow $5,000 from my mother. And, and she started a company. Um, EEO, EEO, EEO complaint management business from her dining room table, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. So she came up with this company. It was called the Bastion Corporation. And their specialty was investigating complaints made to the uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Um, companies liked her work, brought her in. And come find out she was right. It wasn't always that third party that said, okay, it all stops here. Whatever I say goes, no, we need to do more. We need to investigate more. And that was her job. Her company did that. Okay. And then and she worked with, um, I'll go back one step. Um, the Bastion Corporation uh, was working as a third party fact finder. Okay, employees complaint of discrimination on race, color, religion, sex, and national origin. And um, 
She also worked with companies, human resources, to find these issues. What's going on here? You know what I mean? So this was what she was doing, okay? And unbelievable. Um, she saw, she oversaw an investigation of Flagstar Corporation, Compact Computers, Goodyear Tires, and General Motors. So now we have a person that's not only being hired as an out, as a third party investigator, but getting results done. Okay. Unbelievable. So, you know what? We got to give her again. Come on, girl. Okay, so what we're gonna do right now, ladies and gentlemen, we're gonna play some music just to make everything sound. We're gonna keep the music down low. We're gonna keep it low, low, low. So we're gonna play music from the civil rights era, just a few songs, just nothing. And then uh we're gonna make this, we're gonna have fun, but we're gonna reminisce also because I feel these are people that need to be recognized. And we even got some stuff here from Prince. And um, we're going to play some music here just to get the mood a little bit better. So I'm going to play some Sam Cooke for you. We're going to keep it low, though. All right? All right, so we're going to play that. And we're going to keep that low. Sam Cook, ladies and gentlemen. Oh! 
to carry on It's been a long, a long time coming But I know a change gonna come Oh, yes it will All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Mr. Sam Cooke. A change is going to come. Beautiful song. Beautiful song, ladies and gentlemen. All right, let's keep the party going. So uh, let's get back to <clears throat> Miss Bastion. Okay, cool. So Miss Bastion, notice that things are working out okay, but, but you always have that but in there, ladies and gentlemen. She worked with her cousin, Donnie Moore. It was a scientist at Tufts, another Tufts University. I think that's out of Massachusetts. It's it's hard to get in there. Um, and they developed software that could securely store information about her cases. So they needed that security for cases she worked on and nobody else can get, have access to them. And she also used the internet at the time to make public information about cases available to employee to employers and employees at multiple work sites. So like say, uh, say for instance, a certain company is had doing discriminatory things against minorities, women, or whatever. You could look that up and see that, and or a certain employee was a pain, or was a problem at other places. They've had access to that, so that's where a lot of HR stuff. Miss Bashin developed that. Okay, and then she filed a patent for uh, Link uh, Linkline in two thousand one. And when that patent was approved in 2006, she was the first African woman, African-American woman in the U.S. to hold a software patent, ladies and gentlemen. All right. So the, her company is flourishing. Okay. Um, unbelievable. Unbelievable. So her company, um, AAP Link Affirmative Action Software, which helps develop institutions, manage affirmative action cases to this day still. Also, 100 Intake um, also uh, serves as a hotline for discrimination reporting for smaller companies and EEO FedSoft, which facilitates EEO complaints and manages case files within government agencies. This is all from Ms. Bashin. She created the software. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Uh, she's very talented. She has done multiple... She has received multiple awards. She received in 2003 the uh, Pinnacle Award from the Houston Chamber of Commerce, Commerce, the 2004 Crystal Award from the National Association of Negro Women in Business, and she was recognized by MIT for Linkline at the World Festival of Black Arts and Culture in Dakar, Senegal. And she's elected to the Women's Leadership Board at Harvard's Kennedy School. And she's also a member of the Black Inventors Hall of Fame, ladies and gentlemen. I got to give her kudos, ladies and gentlemen. She deserves it again. All right. All right. Let's keep the party going on here. All right. So I, I want to do, let's see, we have one, two, let's do two more, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's talk about this one. Uh, the next person I'm going to talk about is a Miss Ellen Ochoa. Yes, man. Yes, yes, America. Ellen Ochoa. 
is a Latina. Uh, she was born in California. Uh, she earned a bachelor's degree uh, from San Diego State University and a master's and a doctorate in electrical engineering from Stanford. Here we go. Stanford again. Smart people. <laughs> okay. Um, she is a research engineer um, at Sandia uh, National Laboratories and at NASA Ames Research Center. Um, she also, this is crazy, ladies and gentlemen, uh, investigate optical systems for performing information processing, okay, at NASA. She's also co-inventor of three patents and author of several uh, technical papers. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. This is someone of uh, Spanish descent. Uh, Otoy joined um, NASA in 88. She joined as a research engineer at the Ames Research Center and moved on to Johnson Space Center, which is, I think Johnson Space Center is in Texas. Yes. Okay. Uh, she was selected as an astronaut, a Latina as an astronaut. She became the first Hispanic woman to go to space when she served on the nine-day uh, Space Shuttle 56 mission board, STS-56 uh, mission aboard the Space Shuttle Discovery in 1993. Uh, she has flown four times, uh, STS-66, STS-96, STS-110, uh, and she has 1,000 hours in orbit. Oh, my God. That's crazy. I'm... Ladies and gentlemen, that's great. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? We had to give her a little prompt, too. She deserves that. I mean, that's unbelievable to do. Once again, if people recognize who you are and you're given the opportunity and you run with it, you're going to be successful in life. Okay. Unbelievable. Okay. She has received uh, many awards, uh, national's highest award, the distinguished service medal and the presidential distinguished rank award for senior executives in the government. Uh, what else? She's got six, uh, she has awards and is especially honored to have six schools named for her. Okay. Um, she is a fellow of American Association of Advancement of Science and the American Institute of Aeronautics and Astronautics. And she serves on both boards, uh, several boards, excuse me, and chairs the nomination committee, nomination evaluation committee for the National Medal of Technology Innovation. Unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Um, Mr. Choba is married to Mile, Cole Miles who is an intellectual property attorney and they have two children, two sons. Once again, ladies and gentlemen. Unbelievable, unbelievable, ladies and gentlemen, unbelievable. All right, so we have one more to go, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm saving this for, let's see if I can get all his information right. Let's see, is this the last one? Yes, it is. Okay, cool, cool, cool. All right, I hope everyone's enjoying themselves here. Um, like I said, it's this is all in celebration for Martin Luther King, and you can see how his influence has just it's gone across lines. I mean, not so much for African Americans, people of Latino and Latina uh, descent who have taken their opportunity and run with it and have been so successful. And that's what I'm talking about. I mean, it's not about 
you know, yeah, okay, you play the league for a long time and that. How about being successful? You know, a doctor, engineer, attorney, um, a physicist, okay, an astrophysicist at that, okay, electrical engineer. So that's something that to really think about for our young people. And I really want some of the young people to just just listen to some of the stuff that you hear, uh, your grandparents or you know, you know, people of that generation, your great grandparents. Listen to them. Read some of the uh, read some of the material. Look at the footage of the, some of those cops, those police officers down in Alabama. They're putting um, the German shepherds and biting the civil rights workers. Okay, that was sad. Or blowing up the churches where those three little girls were at because some of the people didn't agree with integration or you know an opportunity to get ahead. So. And I'm hoping that we can get things changed soon. And, and I mean, hey, we come a long way, but we're not there yet, ladies and gentlemen. And I feel that we can do it. We can do it. We definitely can do it. All right. I might not see it in my lifetime. Maybe my my future granddaughter, uh, future son, future whatever. Or my nieces and nephews, I got younger nieces and nephews, hopefully in their lifetime, they can see things that are, that are going to change and, you know, just get on their horse and don't, you know, don't get off until you know it's right. All right. So we got one more person, ladies and gentlemen, and we'll talk and that'll be the end of our podcast for today. And I just want to say thank you for everybody that's listening and I really give yourself a round of applause. I really do appreciate you coming on. I know it's a long weekend for some people, but you don't have to sit and listen to me. You can go someplace else, but for me, I really appreciate it. So let's get this finished. Let's do this one more, ladies and gentlemen. And I have some music to um, to play for you too. And um, we will do that, okay? Okay. The last person on the docket we're going to talk about and if I mess up his name, ladies and gentlemen, please, please, please forgive me. Okay. The person's name is Luis Von On. If I'm correct, Von, I got that right. But the A H N, I hope it sounds like On. And if it's not right, I apologize. You can email me or call me or whatever, send me it. Uh, just get a hold of me in some kind of way. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, before I go, now. If you want to get uh, some of the shows uh, from prior um, podcasts I've done, I'm now on YouTube Music. Just click on the link for podcasts. All of my shows will be on there also. Because uh, I guess uh, um, the podcast that uh, YouTube had, uh, that's going away. So it's going to go to YouTube Music. So it, I just started... Um, putting new uh, shows that I had previously that's on there also. So I guess it's going to take down YouTube podcast. So everything's going to YouTube music. And if you click on the link for, uh, you get YouTube music for podcasts and you see by time I'm, I'm in there. So once again, I appreciate everybody uh, um, just uh, listening to me. All right. Okay. Last person. Last person we're talking about Louis Von On. 
Luis was born in uh, Luis was born in August nineteenth, nineteen seventy eight. So he's the youngest of all the people we talked about here. Okay, he was born in Guatemala, Guatemala City, Guatemala. He is the son of two doctors. Okay, um, he grew up in um, you know exploring can in a candy factory that his mother's family owned. Um, he was fascinated by the Commodore 64. Some of the young cats don't know about that Commodore 64. I remember that back in the 80s. <laughs> uh, and, and he went on and he got, you know, the older he got, he went to Duke University, which is almost Ivy League, ladies and gentlemen, even though we don't like him in basketball. But anyway, uh, he went on to, uh, to earn his bachelor's degree in mathematics at Duke University in 2000. Um, he became a graduate researcher at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Um, he earned a master's and doctorate in computer science in 2003 and 2005. Okay. He worked on a team at Carnegie Mellon that developed the CAPTCHA. Now, CAPTCHA, you know what it is. Like, say, friends, you go into certain sites, they'll tell you, hey, uh, click on these uh, where all of the um, lights are. You know, the picture. You click on, click on, click on, and you see the capture at the bottom. Boom. You're in. So that's just, this is like a way of, I'm trying to put it in an easy term. Capture is a way of like entering a particular site. So when you see it, it'll say like, where are the traffic lights? So you click on that, blah, blah, and you see at the bottom, capture. Boom. You're in. Okay. So basically, it's a preventive measure. Security. Okay. And... Also, it's a test designed to help companies thwart bots. You're one of those little, uh, you know, autonomous software programs. And um, okay, so yeah, so the capture. So if I'm, if I'm spelled C capital C A P T C H A. All right. Um, so the capture is working to generate fake email accounts, corrupt uh, results, or bypass online queues. To reserve thousands of events, stuff like that. That's what it did. Okay. So the capture program, if you're not familiar with it, um, you know, it, it it just blocked out junk that was coming in there. Okay. And also, it helped. Uh, it was distorted text that users had to type correctly or confirm they were human before gaining access to a website. Or program, which is true. That's what that's how capture works. So basically, it's a program to sniff you out. Okay. Oh, okay. So and then later on, uh, Yahoo, 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 not Yahoo, Yahoo. <laughs> First company to use capture, and it they you know their search engine, and people loved it. Okay. And then Von Han, Von Han, <laughs> developed recapture. Okay. Uh, and that, you know, protect you against those bot attacks, um, and, and, uh, yeah, bot attacks, you know, it prevented that from happening and uses it to transcribe scans or archive newspapers and stuff like that. So that's exactly what it was. So the program also, uh, scanned works for human users to decipher. And each time someone took a few seconds to solve a recapture puzzle, they translated that image into text. You know, you've seen it before. Press on the button, spins around, blah, 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 you're in. Okay. Um, in 2007, um, the New York Times partnered with Von Hahn 
uh, to digitize over centuries worth of archives. In 2018, over 1 billion people had helped digitize books through reCAPTCHA. Okay, that's great. Um, in 2009, uh, Von Ahn sold reCAPTCHA to Google. And I know he made a lot of money, billions. And then he decided to dedicate himself, um, people of all social classes, uh, to access uh, better life opportunities through learning. And he founded a company called Duolingo. Uh, it was an online uh, language learning platform. And it's the largest in the world as we speak. He holds 13 U.S. patents. Um, he has awards for the MacArthur Fellowship and Lemelson MIT Prize. Um, and he also set up a foundation, the Louis Vaughn Foundation. We're going to end a note. We'll end the show on this note. I don't know if you heard the song before. I have heard it. People older than me, um, my mother's age, well, she's not here anymore, but um, we're going to hear music from the civil rights. And this is a very, this is a very strong song that was sung by the civil rights workers, um, black, white, whoever you were, they would sing this song, mostly in there in the Southern areas, you know, Alabama and the South and Mississippi's area. And um, we're going to end the show on this note. We shall overcome. And I want everyone to sit back and just feel the strength of the song. It's not very long, ladies and gentlemen, but when I was playing it, I've heard it for years. Hear the strength of these people who do not want to be denied. I am a man, I'm an American. And this song is so strong. And just, you can feel it. So we're going to end the show on this note. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. God bless you all. Have a beautiful weekend. And if you have a chance, read some of the material about Martin Luther King. He was a brilliant guy. Hated by a lot of people. But his message reverberate around the world. So we're going to end the note and the show today on this song called We Shall Overcome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Have a great weekend. I don't know if you're off on Monday, but still enjoy your weekend. Be safe. Everybody in the Midwest, in the Midwest ladies and gentlemen, be careful because the storms and, and those bad storms are coming east. So everyone, please be careful out there. Take care. I will be back here next Saturday. We'll do another podcast. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Take care. In the process of working throughout the South, and going to jail and getting beat and being in mass meetings and singing there's one particular song that became the theme song of this movement it is a powerful song you can go anywhere in the world today where there is struggle and you will find this song and you will still see people in the streets marching and singing it it is our gift to the world the world people in struggle we want to ask you to stand up and cross your right hand over left and sing with us we shall overcome we shall all